Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, John Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with a Professor. Good time right now because uh, kind of hitting that sad part of the year in the standpoint in the NFL schedule where everybody's pretty well done. They're just about all heading into training camp. And that will be around, you know, the 27th of July. You know, all the looks like all the mini camps and everything else are done. And so it's kind of wrap up this off season. We're going to talk to longtime NFL general manager, Randy Mueller, who certainly was here in Seattle as a GM and all those different things. So, so Randy, how do you kind of sum up this very unusual off season? Yeah, kind of crazy. Huh? I mean, you throw the COVID uh, stuff in the middle of it and it's hard to know what to take from it. So many teams use this offseason to, to do it different ways, right? There's no chapter that said this is the way it needs to be done. We saw some NFL teams give days off, weeks off of OTAs and even mandatory mini camps. We saw others grind it out till the end, like in Kansas City with Andy Reid. So I don't know that there's a, a common thread throughout it all. It looks like... Uh, you know, depending on your team, your head coach, your personality of your head coach, there's a lot of ways to skin the cat, so to speak, and, and we'll see how it works out when they come back for training camp uh, into July. Well, how would you judge the Players Association's push to have all, uh, all the players boycott and not be there for the OTAs? I mean, what was the message that they were trying to get and what were they trying to do? And would you consider it to be successful in what they tried to do? Well, at first, like everybody else, I had to scratch my head a little bit and say, is this really the hill that they've picked to die on? This is what they want to do? These OTAs are voluntary. Having been part of so many of them over the years, John, it's it kind of depends on the coach. It kind of depends on the leadership of your team. What might be good for one team isn't necessarily good for another. I think what they were trying to do was just start a dialogue between the union and maybe even the players in some cases and the coaches to just kind of let's put a, a little limit on what we do. I think when, when they got Tom Brady to speak out at that one point during the offseason about staying away from OTAs and doing things on your own, when he said, hey, no baseball players in February are throwing 100-mile-an-hour fastballs, I do think that you know stuck home to a lot of people that were involved. So I think they wanted to, to start a dialogue with uh, front offices to kind of control and limit what we do. I think we all saw virtual stuff work for the most part, but there's still a lot of things that can be gained from face-to-face contact and and practices. I think what they were hoping to do was kind of get some protection. And you know coaches, John, like I do, they want to coach, right? They want to work guys. They want to work them hard. I think the, the players just wanted some limits on that. I don't think they were trying to say, hey, we don't want to work, we're kind of lazy. I don't think that's it at all. I just think they wanted a little control on the top end of what coaches did with them on the field during some of these OTAs and minicamps. Yeah, no doubt. And I think they got that, really. Yeah, of course, the weird part was that Tom Brady said he didn't want to see any of the rookies show up, and that would have been a big mistake because particularly in a year like we just had is that uh, if the rookies can't get in and get some coaching, particularly you know with the uh, COVID-19 last year, opt-outs, teams that hardly played, I mean, they needed the coaching because some, a lot of these guys haven't hardly done anything since 2019. Yeah, I agree with that. But also remember that the players' union is a union, right? And it's run by veteran players. 
And I think, and again, nobody says this ever, but I'm not so sure that discouraging rookie, rookie players from coming in and being around there doesn't cement more veteran jobs when you cut your team to 53, right? And, and I agree with you. Rookies need work. They're the ones that need these OTAs more than anybody. But if they get that, they develop quicker, and maybe they replace some of these veterans at different you know, times and different places around the league. So there's a, there's a double-edged sword there as far as the union speaking out. And usually, like most cases, you've got to figure out the agendas of those that are speaking before you can answer the question. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, you notice the one thing that didn't happen is the rookies listened. Because other than a couple like uh, Penny Sewell and others who had COVID-19, is that uh, they all showed up and they're all there for the entire OTAs and the minicamp. Well, think about it. If you're a rookie, you, you've got to be in there, right? Yeah. I've got to go against uh, advice from, from the pros, from the guys that have been around here, because I've got to take care of myself. And, and I agree with you. I think a lot, most of the rookies did come in. Very few did I read about that weren't there. But I'm not sure in the end that that's not a good thing. I think the work intensity was what was monitored, and I think the dialogue that the union started probably got that accomplished. Yeah, and that's that's the one thing. It's like, uh, how much of an advantage is it, and or is it an advantage? I mean, certainly San Francisco, maybe the Rams. They had real good participation all the way through. Although San Francisco had to cut it short after eight OTAs because they continue to have bad injuries, you know, ACL and uh, Achilles tendons and all that stuff. So they cut it short. No mini camp. Where Seattle and the veterans, pretty much more than any other team in the league, stayed out until about a week before the mini camp and then started coming in. Is there an advantage, or how big of an advantage is it? Well, I think, and I've always thought this, the advantage in OTAs and mini camps in the offseason really is seen, I think, in benefits quarterbacks more than anything else. And no, we're not playing at game speed. But we all know that the biggest part of their job is to process the information. And those teams that you mentioned all have new quarterbacks on board. You're talking about L.A. with their new quarterback, San Francisco with the young kid uh, that they drafted early. So young quarterbacks especially or quarterbacks that change teams really can use those extra reps. You just got to monitor the intensity. I think it's an advantage for those teams. Now, we saw this on the other end, and it'll be interesting to see how we how this comes comes to fruition, but in Houston, they canceled a lot of their stuff. They did very little on the field stuff. And they not only had a new coach, but they're going to, it looks like, have a new quarterback, a couple new quarterbacks. So they, I don't know, got the work in that some of these other teams did that we just talked about. So it'll be interesting to compare where these teams are, especially when the season starts in September. Now, you were in Houston last year with the XFL and, of course, uh, got to watch what was going on with the Houston Texans. How bad are things right now for Houston? And not the, you know, not the XFL, but as far as the uh, Houston Texans. Yeah, it's a tough spot, I'll tell you what. And it really starts at the ownership level and, and what transpired there, actually even before they hired Nick Cesario, who I think has been dealt a, a tough hand and has made probably as good a of a hand out of it than as he could. But, yeah, it's a struggle. I mean, they made some bad decisions. They made some, some public stands with some non-football people involved that didn't make sense to the public, and, and they got criticized for it, and rightly so. It'll be interesting now to see if Nick, who I've, I've, I don't know personally, but I've heard a lot of good things about, 
uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can continue the culture change in, in long enough to where they can actually make a difference. Uh, you know, David Coley, in his first time as a head coach, has his work cut out for him. They made so many changes to that roster. I think they must have signed 45 or 50 new guys. It'll be interesting to see how all that, how all that works out. But they sure have had their share of criticism, and, and probably rightly so, by both local media and national media everybody's been on them as to the way they've ran things and and i don't i think nobody really was willing to accept the patriot way uh like they had in the past because it hasn't always worked when you try to do it other places and that's again what houston's trying to do is do the way the new england style has because their people came from new england the big story also is what's going on with Deshaun Watson, who does not want to be a Houston Texan. He's got 22 lawsuits by women accusing him of uh, sexual harassment or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, the cases aren't going to be even <clears throat> done until next year because he's not going to even get deposed until next February. What do you see happening with Deshaun Watson? Will he be traded or would anybody be willing to pick him up in a trade with the uncertainty around him? Yeah, it's kind of a crazy situation, and believe me, the legal part of it is way above my pay grade, John, I can tell you yeah. that. Having having just sat and watched it from afar, um, I think, in fact, I wrote about this last week on my blog at MuellerFootball.com, I think the only thing that changed is, is changes the narrative, really, is if Deshaun comes in. If he all of a sudden just walks in the door and says, I want to play now, that all of a sudden throws a lot of guarantees, many millions of dollars up in the air for grabs, and to see how that works out, I don't know. I just don't see the league allowing him to play this year with everything that's on the table in front of him from a legal standpoint. I, I went back and looked at you know, Ben Roethlisberger, as we all know, a few years back was accused of one of these cases. The league suspended him six games. It got bartered down to four, and that case never did go to court. It never was. There were, never were charges brought against him. Well, times 20, and that's where we are with Deshaun Watson. So I just think the league eventually would step in. I don't think anybody's going to trade for him. I just think there are too many what-ifs. You can't give any value for a guy like this when you don't know if and when he'll be available to play, not to mention what kind of you know mental shape he's in after going through a crazy offseason like this. So I don't think the trade happens. I don't think Houston can really do anything. I think they put him on the shelf now and had no choice to, and they're just going to ride it out to see how these legal things play out. I don't think he'll be traded. Maybe a year from now we rediscuss it, but I just don't see him being a factor this year for the Houston Texans. One guy that wants to get traded and doesn't want to go back to Green Bay is Aaron Rodgers. Uh, and, of course, I, I don't understand what Mark Murphy's doing. I mean, two weeks ago he says that uh, Aaron Rodgers is splitting the fan base. Last Friday he came out and said that uh, yeah. Aaron Rodgers is talking to late general manager uh, Ted Thompson. It's like he's a complicated fella. And so it's like that was so bad for Aaron that he was on the promotion for the golf tournament he has with Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson and all that stuff, and he wore a black shirt to say, I'm offended. So how do you see that all playing out right. in Green Bay? Well, that's, a, uh, uh, I think, gotten to the point where it's we know it's personal, right? We yeah. know there's some vendetta on both sides. I think Mark Murphy also said a couple of weeks ago that, uh, and I quote him, the, the least said publicly by either side, the better. He needs to kind of heed his own advice. I think the worst thing he can do is keep this alive, and I think it benefits Aaron to keep this in the public eye for sure. And the more Mark Murphy comes out and continues to insert his foot into his mouth, 
Aaron just runs with it. We all know what kind of a guy Aaron is. He doesn't need to try to disparage his quarterback publicly. It seems to me like, and I don't know, John, I haven't talked to those people, it seems to me like Murphy's trying to collect support to kind of run for office, right? Just in case he has to move Aaron Rodgers at some point, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's again, trying to divide and conquer a little bit himself by gathering some evidence that, hey, we had to do this. This wasn't our fault. He divided our fan base. He's a complicated dude. By saying all this stuff, he's trying to justify, I think, the fact that we may have to move this guy at some point, and maybe that's a year away from that. But I just think it's it's gone way too public. I don't think they should be commenting back and forth like this. I look at the Russell Wilson situation this offseason, and the way the Seahawks handled it I thought was perfect. They didn't say a word. They stayed out of it. They always took the high road. Well, there's no high road in Green Bay, right? The high road is empty right now. Nobody's on it. How do you read what uh, Russell Wilson did after the Super Bowl? He's sitting up there, won the Walter Payton Award, watching the game at the Super Bowl with uh, Roger Goodell, and uh, you know, watching basically the same thing that happened to him in the playoff game against the Rams, where the defense comes out in a cover two, and they weren't able to beat it. And then uh, Patrick Mahomes just gets all beat up, just like Russell Wilson did. Uh, and then he came out and just started, you know, bl- 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 criticizing the offensive line, criticizing a number of hits, and saying he wanted a voice in front office decisions. Yeah, I struggled with the whole thing. To be honest with you, John, I thought I saw frustration. I saw some ego. I saw, you know, some wow, why me? You know, all of that, which is all stuff that I don't really like to hear or see. I just feel like you're going to put your team on blast like he did um, and criticize every part of it from the way the coaching staff is made up to front office decisions to drafting players the whole bit. You've got to be accountable for those actions, and I don't feel like he ever was. Obviously, his agent, uh, we all know how that went with naming the teams that he would be willing to be traded to, but then he came back from minicamp last week and said, I didn't ask for a trade. So I just thought the whole thing was a little disingenuous. Um, like I said, I like the way the front office of the Seahawks handled it. They didn't get in the mud with him. They didn't try to mix it up with him. They let him say his thing, and it took its course. And, and maybe things are better now, but I will say this. Because of all the things that Russell said and the actions of his agent, I think the pressure's on him now to have to play good. And I think there's probably more pressure on him because he's pointed the fingers really at others now. Uh, more pressure on him this year than any recent time. And, of course, we know he's he's not going to get criticized in Seattle. People love him. And, and I agree, he's a great player. And I just thought it was a shame. I thought it, it kind of tarnished what had been a, a pretty stellar uh, off-the-field career for him to this point. But I think this, you know, this year will be big for him in that, you know, he's 33 years old. He's got a big number on him as, as a contract as well. So he's got to put up now in order to keep uh, keep collecting those checks. Okay, so now we're uh, Seattle won 12 games last year, won the division. Uh, San Francisco looks like they have a chance to bounce back. Rams make the Matthew Stafford trade. Arizona's trying to get better. How do you kind of formulate where this is in the NFC West? I think it's a dogfight, John. I really do. I love the division. I love the additions that some of these teams have made. Hey, you can't discount what Arizona's doing either with trying to rebuild their defense at the same time. So I think it's a dogfight. I think the regular season, as we found out here in Seattle last year, was one thing. But, you know, everybody forgets the Seahawks' record because they lost the playoff game at home to a, you know, AAF backup quarterback, you know. So it's it's crazy. It's It's one 
what have you done for me lately? It's it's one or two weeks. We're all looking at uh, you know uh, short term uh, short term goals being the way it is. You know, we're all three weeks away from a mutiny in the NFL. That's always the way it's been. But I think it's really that way in the NFC West. And I, and I like all these teams, so I'm, I'm anxious to see this division. I think it's the hardest division in football, without a doubt. Yeah, and then finally, uh, because you're so knowledgeable about this, having just been there in the XFL, XFL coming back next year. The uh, <laughs> I'm so amazed that the USFL is coming back. Is there going to be enough players to have two spring <laughs> yeah. leagues? You know, I, I have followed it a little bit, but to answer your question, no. <laughs> no. There is not enough players. And I, I think I don't know how important that is to these people. Um, my experience in the XFL in Houston was really positive. I also know that, you know, with Fox involved now with the Spring League and, and trying to bring back the USFL, it's going to be a battle for players. Um, I think there's room for one Spring League as a developmental league to the NFL. How that all works out, I don't know. It'll kind of be fun to watch from afar. You know, I'm a Seattle guy, so I have interest in it only from the standpoint of, of having, you know, been involved in the XFL. They had a Seattle team. Um, I think it proved here in Seattle, it proved in Houston that people will watch it on TV and attend. So time will tell how it all works out. But I think uh, there's always a shortage of, of players. There's always a shortage of quarterbacks. But I would love to see – the NFL and, and themselves get involved with developing young quarterbacks just for the good of the game. And that's what I see these spring leagues, that, that the really underlying fact and the, and the big prize at the end of it is to develop players like John Kitna, Jake DeLome, Kurt Warner. These guys all played in the spring league and, and wouldn't have had the careers they had unless they got those reps in the spring league. So that's where my interest is, is in the, seeing these players get a chance to develop. So, Randy Mueller, where are all the venues that uh, people can keep up on what you have and what you're presenting? Well, I do a little podcast on The Athletic, as you might know, with our good friend Mike Sando. Mm-hmm. We do that weekly and have done it for the last year or so. It's called The Football GM. And then I write for my own blog at MuellerFootball.com where I kind of give people different angles, but it's mainly from the GM chair, having been around and using my 30 years in the NFL to, to kind of just give some, some thoughts on how things are viewed from the GM chair, and sometimes that's a little different view than most of the fans get from the outside. I do a lot of media stuff other than that, and uh, I really enjoy it. It keeps me busy, that's for sure. No doubt about it. Randy Mueller, thanks for joining us on Schooled with the Professor. Thanks, John. Anytime. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.